as you will find out later tonight who the Atlanta Braves will play in the NLCS. Georgia Southern playing tonight on ESPNU on the road at South Alabama. We'll talk some Georgia football as they get ready for their first game in quite some time, being ranked number one in the nation, especially this late in the year against 11th-ranked Kentucky. Uh, We'll chat with Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network in about 15 minutes. Matthew Lawrence of ESPN Radio Lexington will join us as well. Uh, We have some news, Ben, with uh, your Florida Georgia Legends series that we'll get to in just a little bit. Uh, Chris Gordy from Houston Sports Talk 710 and the Locked On SEC podcast will join us. We'll talk some Georgia Tech football. We're all over the place. We'll compare the SEC and Big Ten, which I'm looking forward to. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, Cam Ushery here. We'll have Kevin Thomas back with us in just a couple of minutes. But, Ben, I I, I think there are a lot of interesting angles to this Georgia-Kentucky game. And uh, Christian was talking about – Christian, P.J., and Cam were talking about some of the storylines here. You have Kentucky 6-0 for the first time since 1950. You have Georgia ranked number one this late in the season for the first time since 1982. You have a question or two at quarterback with with Georgia. Do you continue to go with Stetson Bennett? When, if JT Daniels is healthy, how do you manage that? Uh, What are the expectations for a Georgia team that is dominated week to week? Georgia right now is outscoring their opponents by an average of 40 to 5, a half dozen games into the season. You look at Kentucky, they're 6 and 0. They've played really well been lately. They beat Florida, of course, late defensive stand, really really put it on LSU, and now you look at that team, they have the SEC's leading rusher in Chris Rodriguez. You have the SEC's leading receiver in Wondell Robinson. You have a defense that held Georgia to 14 points in this game last season in Lexington, and Kentucky defensively held Florida to, what, 13? Kind of where's your feel for this game a couple of days out, number one versus number 11, with potentially uh, the SEC East on the line? BJ, I think I think it's kind of been the same uh, the same uh, scenario all year for this uh, Georgia Bulldogs team, right? They create narratives, right? They create narratives, you know, for the teams they're playing. I mean, Georgia is a team that you understand, BJ, that you you know what you're getting, right? Like, okay, when Arkansas plays Georgia, it was a big game until until you kick the ball off, and then it's oh man, this Georgia team is really really good. Auburn was supposed to be a really good game until you kick the ball off, and then well, it's this Georgia team again. But don't take away the fact that Kentucky is a team that put themselves in a the position. I mean, being six and zero in the SEC, not being ranked in the top ten, has everything to do with the fact that they're Kentucky. Because if there was if there was Florida, there was Tennessee, if it was South Carolina, if it was any team not named Kentucky in the East, they would probably be in the top ten right now. But you know, the question is, can Georgia maintain this dominance? And I would go yes, because the one thing the, the most consistent team in twenty twenty one has has been Georgia. Now you you can you can also say that you know BJ, it's a week to week thing because you say this this same Kentucky team held Georgia to fourteen points a year ago. Well. We are a year removed, and Georgia is a total different team. Think about it. Georgia is winning, not running the football. Georgia is winning defense, throwing the football when you have to, running the football to seal games. Excuse me. But give this Kentucky team a lot of credit. It shouldn't be how you got to 6-0. It should be that you are 6-0. Every game wasn't pretty. Every game wasn't pleasant. But I do think that, yes, Georgia is going to maintain their dominance. BJ, you got me into this numbers thing. Because every time, every game you are undefeated, Makes it so that when you lose, it's going to be dramatic regardless of how you lose because everybody's going to say, oh, they're not as good as we think. No, both could be true. Kentucky could be having the best team and best season it's ever had since 1950, I think. 
Georgia has got the best team we've seen in a while since. Uh, well, no, not the best team we've seen in a while, but being this being undefeated this late in the season since 1982. So I I think that Georgia's going to be dominant. Kentucky's going to come in and give them a good game. But you talk about anything not named Alabama versus Georgia at this point. <clears throat> I got to see it to believe it. So, Arkansas, nope. Uh, you know, Auburn, nope. We're going to see uh, if Kentucky can try to, you know, uh, you know, uh, break break that, uh, that that problem they, or solve that problem they got going on in Athens. Well, well you know what's crazy, and, and this is a lot to think about. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if Kentucky were to win, they will have head-to-heads over Florida and Georgia, and probably, I know you have Tennessee later in the year, but they probably are going – to Atlanta, and then you start to get into all kind of weird questions with the college football playoff. But Kevin Thomas now uh, here with us, and Kev, I, just looking at looking at Georgia, Kentucky, uh, you're talking about number one versus number eleven, and the line is still twenty two and a half. Now Georgia's beating opponents by an average of thirty five points. Do you think that we're looking at yet another dominant performance? by Georgia, or is this a game where it could get interesting in your mind? Well, I mean, if you just go by the line, why why should it be any different, right? I mean, this is – we've said this for how many weeks in a row? Man, that's a lot of points for Georgia. Man, that's a lot of points for Georgia to be given up against the line and they just blow right by it. I Look, I think Kentucky has had a good start to the season. Have they played some good teams? Yes. Have they played some great teams? I'm not so sure. They're going to play a great team on Saturday, and they're going to have to earn it, uh, quite frankly, as Will Levis – a better quarterback maybe than uh, Georgia's gone up against? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, you know, I, I think we've seen DJU struggle a little bit. And I don't know that the level of quarterback that they've seen is necessarily uh, as good as you can find in the SEC. Maybe last week or Arkansas might have been one. But, look, I, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. It's going to come down to what everybody's going to try to do uh, so far, and that is, hey, can Kentucky run the football? And that answer for what six weeks already against Georgia is nope, no they won't, and and that's what Kentucky needs to do. They've got a great running back, and we've seen other teams with good running backs come in, not much happening. Uh, so I mean, what what are we talking about here? Chris Rodriguez, if he gets sixty yards on the ground, is that a big win? That's not a good day for him statistically. Could be a great day against that Georgia defense. Uh, so, look, I, nothing I have seen so far, and again, it's college football, so every, anything can change on a dime, but nothing I have seen so far leads me to believe that Georgia's not going to win this game by 22. So, yeah, I, I, I think, can Kentucky do it? Well, sure. I mean, Alabama got beat last week. It, it, it is possible, but is it likely? Nope. And, and I think Kentucky's been one of the best stories in the SEC so far. I mean, we'll see. I just, I just think for me, at the end of the day, uh, BJ and Kevin, you know, two things can be true. Both teams can be really, really good based on how they play according to their teams. Georgia plays – they don't play stifling defense. They play suffocating defense. They suffocate you for four quarters. They let you breathe just a little bit, and they suffocate you some more. BJ, you talk about what Will Levis is doing and what Chris Rodriguez is doing. Well, they just Chris Rodriguez is carrying on that great running back tradition right now, uh, you, know, at, you know, in Kentucky. But – this is why you play the game. As much as we're giving all the credit to Georgia based on what they've seen, give credit to Kentucky. They've won big. They've won ugly. But, BJ, LSU and Florida on your, you know, LSU and Florida on your resume might be a little bit more impressive right now than Arkansas and Ole Miss. I mean, I mean you know, Arkansas and Auburn, I mean. So, we'll, we'll see. And like I said, the narrative going into the game is it's easy to talk about coming out of the game as long as your narrative was, remain the same because Georgia wins. If Georgia loses, how good are we – how much credit are we really giving – uh, Kentucky at that point. 
Yeah, and I, I, I am excited for the opportunity that Georgia has to play on another platform with a national showcase with the momentum of being the number one team in the country. And Ben, I mean, look, you can say we're not paying attention to the polls. We're not reading the forums or social media or whatever. Come on. You're number one in the country. Everybody knows it. Everybody's talking about it. Celebrate it. Embrace it. And I think you see Georgia play with just, just if if there is any extra emotion, uh, just with with jubilation out there. You're number one in the country. You've dominated everybody. I think you're going to see a confident, aggressive Georgia football team. And I think if you're if, if, if you're Kentucky, you want to just try to hang on through the opening start and find yourself in that game in the midway point, rely on your offensive line, rely on your defense. But I expect Georgia to be flying around, playing fast, and have a good performance. Certainly. And again, we're waiting to see what happens there on Saturday between the Dogs and the Cats. We're going to have to wait until Saturday to see what happens with the Braves. Either the Dodgers or the Giants. We'll talk to Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, when we come back. Still to come this hour, Matthew Lawrence, ESPN Radio Lexington, will join us. We'll talk Georgia and Kentucky with him. This is Three and Out on this Thursday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We'll have to wait and see who wins Dodgers Giants tonight to find out who the Braves are playing, but we do know the Braves will be playing on Saturday at some point. Our next guest has been with the Braves all season long, part of the Braves radio network. Ben Ingram uh, joins us here on 3 and Out. Uh, ben, uh, just jubilation watching Freddie Freeman hit that home run uh, the other night to clinch the series. What a ride it must be uh, getting that bird's eye seat watching this team finish it up the last handful of days. Yeah, that was an amazing moment. I think you knew that if the Braves were going to win this series, it would be an amazing moment, but... I don't know that you could have expected what we saw play out the other night. I thought that that was the biggest home run by an Atlanta Brave in 25, 30 years, perhaps. And um, you know, there are lots of people, especially a younger generation of fans, who haven't seen a moment quite like that before. So it was uh, quite the treat to see the ballpark as vibrant as it was, um, to see Freddie, the guy who has been the team leader, get the job done, get to have that big moment. It would have been big no matter who hit the home run, but the fact that it was Freddie made it a storybook type of ending for that series, and now we go into a brand-new story with what takes place in the next round. Ben, the Braves' team ERA in the postseason is an MLB best, one five four. Uh, the starters have been spectacular, more the same out of the bullpen. What's been the biggest key to success uh, for Atlanta's pitchers here in the postseason? That's a great question. Um, I, I know that we've seen these guys really get out there and dominate. Uh, what we've seen out of the bullpen has been spectacular, especially given how many close calls they had this season. I think you would say that there are times in the season where the bullpen was a liability. Now they seem to be a foundation or maybe even a backbone uh, for what we've seen in the postseason of this part. Uh, maybe it's an all-out effort altogether as a unit to step up and show us their best stuff. I mean, you expect a really good stuff out of Max Freed as well as Charlie Morton, but the Ian Anderson that we saw the other day looked like the same guy that we saw in the postseason last year, and he was undefeated last year. So that's been terrific. And those guys know that um, reaching the postseason isn't uh, the end of the line for them. They have much higher expectations for this postseason than just reaching the, the dance. So um that's a really good question. They've been very good in terms of big moments, men on base. Uh, they've been able to, to really lock it down, and perhaps a, a big part of that isn't just what we've seen on the mound, but the gloves behind the guys. I mean, this team defense for the Braves has been tops in the National League most of the season, 
and they had some humongous moments in that series versus Milwaukee, especially there in Game 3, where they saved runs. So all those things swirled in there together. That's produced uh, a pretty dominant staff, and you hope to see that again this upcoming series. Ben, how much poise is this team playing with right now? You look at what Alex Anthopoulos did after the trade deadline. These guys seem to have, you know, gelled really, really well with this with this ball club. But how much poise is this team showing, especially after going down, uh, you know, game one to win the next three? Got to show showed a lot of class, showed a lot of maturity. Sure, it does, and I, I don't think that's been gained simply this season. I think that's something that's built up over the last four years. And I look at. Uh, how the Braves have progressed through the postseason over the last four seasons. I go back to 2018, and I'd say that they overachieved. That was a very young team, a very inexperienced team, and they won the division. They went up against a very good Dodger team, and they were put out, and they were outclassed. But I think they they were kind of happy to be there. I think a year later they had higher expectations. They ended up being disappointed with that loss to the Cardinals. But they were building up some postseason experience. I think they used that last year to not be – uh, a, a team that, that shrank under the bright lights. In fact, they thrived last year. They came within a game of the World Series. And when I see that progression over the last three years of going into this season, it's a team that's now very comfortable with the postseason. It's a team that's not rattled by the postseason or the anxiety that comes with being in a postseason game and being on that stage. So I think that's really increased their poise. I think that's increased their confidence. We've seen that. I think that helps slow the heart rate down and slow the moments down and slow the game down. And when you can do that, you're, you're much more prone to succeed. You're much more prone to execute. And they've done a much better job of that. So I, I think what they've done this season is a part of that. But I think what they've been building over the last three years coming into this season is a part of that as well. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, joining us. And, and Ben, you've mentioned the, the building to this point. I've asked some folks this throughout the season, and now that we're in the postseason, and you talk about fans having not seen a moment, witnessing something special. And, you know, I've watched Braves baseball for a long, long time. Around the horn with this Braves infield, is this the best? The Maybe you could say the, the franchise goes back too far for me to put it in historical com- context, but is this the best around the horn uh, infield the Atlanta Braves, I'll at least go that far, have ever seen in terms of defense, hitting the baseball, et cetera, all in one package? Yeah, I think as a unit, I would say yes. I mean, you could easily make the argument that maybe there is a better second baseman or maybe there's a better defending shortstop or maybe there is a – a, a better hitting, whatever it may be. Uh, but if you're talking about the entire unit pound for pound and sizing them up with every other infield, well, they did something historic when it comes to the power numbers. All four of these guys hit 25-plus home runs. Three of the four of them hit 30 home runs. Uh, Dansby finished with 27, three more home runs, and they'd have been the only infield in the history of the game to have everyone reach the 30-home run mark. So I think that when it comes to what they produced as a unit, that has definitely been the case. And I wouldn't say that it's limited strictly to what they've done at the plate. I think what they've done defensively has been amazing. Uh, I think all four of those guys will be up for gold gloves. I'd expect two, maybe even three guys to win gold gloves this year. I I think what I've seen out of Brady Freeman and have seen for years, he, to me, is the best first baseman in the game, and that's not limited to his bat. That's what he means over there defensively as well. I think Ozzy had a terrific season defensively. Could easily see him winning a gold glove. Austin Riley improved defensively about as much as anyone I've ever seen in one season, where he went from a guy who could make the plays, but you weren't sure where the throws were going to go, to becoming a guy who's going to make the plays, let it loose, and make all the plays over there at third base. He made some incredible plays. He wasn't just making the routine plays. He made some highlight reel plays. I put his body of work up against Nolan Arenado this year, and Nolan Arenado defensively is the standard in the National League when it comes to the Gold Glove Award. 
So I could really see a couple of those guys winning gold gloves. I think all four of them will be up for them. And when you mix all those things together with what they did at the plate, as well as what they did in the field, to me, that's the best Braves infield that I've seen. Ben, Jock Peterson, uh, what does he mean to this team? Jock is an interesting piece. Um, he brings some intangibles that not too many teams have. Uh, I, and I'm trying to, to sum up exactly what Jock is, and that's really hard to do, but he's so comfortable with himself. Uh, I, I thought that Dansby put it perfectly the other day when he was asked about Jock, and he said, Jock is never going to allow the environment around him dictate who he is. He's going to be the exact same guy no matter where he is, no matter who he's around. You could put him in the clubhouse. You could put him in the Oval Office. Jock Peterson is going to be the exact same guy in both situations, and I think the team loves that. I think winning with a guy like that here goes a long way. Uh, knowing that he has lots of postseason success goes a very long way, and he's been a part of really good ball clubs in the past. Uh, he's been a part of a world championship ball club. That carries a lot of weight, and when he walks into the clubhouse door, he has everyone's respect automatically, and I think they love the fact that he brings that and an ability to be whomever he is uh, without uh, without even thinking about cowering from that. I think that's tremendous. So uh, there are some things that you do and you'd say, wow, that, that that's different, but that's Jock, and you want him to be himself, and I think the team embraces that the way that he embraces himself, and uh, what he brings to the team as far as between the lines is a very dangerous bat, uh, a guy who is not afraid of the situation. He's not going to shrink from the situation and going to come through, and that, that goes a very long way for the confidence of a ball club. Ben, you talked about him earlier a little bit with Freddie Freeman. Have, have, have you ever seen a superstar of this magnitude that doesn't have a, you know, everybody look at me mentality, yes, I know I got a contract that, that I want to sign, but I don't make any waves about that. I just go about my business. And I know while everybody said that Ronald Cunha Jr. is the next great superstar, how much does wanting to play with Freddie Freeman not only make the team around him better, but even make the guys that come to the team jail faster? Yeah, great point. And, and going back to, to Freddie, you know, you, that is a, great, a really good, interesting point to think about because typically when you have a guy that leads a team, when a guy is an MVP candidate or a superstar, I think the tendency would be to be a much more self-centered individual, and that's not Freddie at all. Freddie's an old-school guy, and we throw that, that term around a lot, and sometimes I think we just throw it around because it's just a generic term sometimes. But I mean it from the standpoint of he, he is in a major way a throwback. Uh, especially when it comes to the game of baseball. I, I think that comes to how he was raised. I think that comes to how uh, he broke into the league. you got to remember, when he broke into the league, he played for Bobby. Uh, there, was, there was no me mentality when it came to Bobby Cox. And while he might have been there for just one season under Bobby, that went a long way. Uh, there was a standard there. There was a bar set. You do things the, a certain way, and you don't deviate from that. And uh, I think Freddie remembers that, and I think it's made him the individual that he is. And I think he's the perfect team leader for this ball club. I don't know that I want 25 guys just like that. I like to mix it up. I like different personalities. But I like the foundation of my team being a guy like that. Uh, so if you join this clubhouse, if you come up, become uh, an Atlanta Brave, you have a guy like Freddie on one side of the clubhouse and a guy like Ronald Acuna on the other side of the clubhouse, well, you really have every end of the spectrum covered, don't you? Uh, I think that makes for a very good clubhouse. I think that makes for, for a lot of unity and guys that come together. But more than anything, there's a standard set of winning. And so long as you're winning, everything else is going to flow. There's nothing that gels a team like winning year after year. And, and that, to me, that's, 
that's the culture that they have built around here. And um, I think that has a big part of them being as competent as they were, even through the hard times this season. And uh, a big part of that is the leadership of Freddie Freeman. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, joining us here on 3 and Out. All right, Ben, rooting interest if you're a Braves fan tonight. Do you want a piece of the Dodgers after what happened last year? Or do you look at the Giants and say, Giants can pitch, but maybe their offense isn't quite as uh, as deadly as what you would see with uh, with L.A.? So if you're a Braves fan, who are you pulling for tonight? Yeah, there are very persuasive arguments for either side. Personally, I'm picking San Francisco. I think that San Francisco is a better matchup for Atlanta. Some people would say, no, you're wrong there because you're sacrificing home field and you don't want to sacrifice home field no matter who the opponent is. And I understand that. Look, both of these teams came to Atlanta this season. The Braves took two out of three from both of them in Atlanta. The Braves were one pitch away from taking two out of three from the Giants, ended up getting only one game. Braves were swept in L.A. So the reason that I answer the way that I answer is two things. Number one, the Braves played probably their best baseball all season on the road. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're uncomfortable at home, but they played really good ball on the road this year. Number two, I think that the Giants are a better matchup for the Braves than the Dodgers are. I think that the Braves could, could split two here in Atlanta to start things off uh, versus L.A., but I'm a big believer in patterns, and the Braves have not played well at all in L.A. in years, and, and that, that, that sticks with me. And I know it might be different players, different circumstances, and different teams, but there has been something to a pattern there to where I'd say that even the losses that the Braves have had versus the Giants have been much more competitive baseball than their losses versus the Dodgers. So that's why I would sacrifice home field to play San Francisco. Either will be challenging, either will be very tough, and either would be a major accomplishment should you top either of those teams in advance of the World Series. Uh, but I think that the matchup versus San Francisco is slightly more favorable than it is versus L.A. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network. Our guest, Braves, will play on Saturday, either be in Atlanta or San Francisco. Ben, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. You got it, fellas. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ben Ingram, our guest here on 3 Not Always enjoy talking Braves baseball with him and truly seeing a number of great things from this Braves team here in 2021. Hope it continues. You need eight more wins, and it will be truly a, uh, a magical, magical season there for the Atlanta Braves. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Coming up, ESPN Radio Lexington, AM 1392.5. He'll join us. In about uh, 10 minutes, we're talking Georgia-Kentucky with him. Also, interesting note, uh, an actor. I was on 90210 for all of you uh, mid-90s guys. Might have known he played Mel Silver on 90210. was on Saturday Night Live. So, doing a little sports talk radio uh, these days. We'll talk Georgia-Kentucky uh, with him. But I want to ask you guys the question, uh, BJ and Ben, because this has been something that fans have debated now that we're down to Game 5 in the uh, NLDS with San Francisco and the Dodgers. Who do you want to play? Who would you rather the Braves face? And I, I, we, we saw people respond say, oh, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And that's the Dodgers. But as we heard Ben Ingram say, Giants are probably a better matchup. Who, who do you want to play if you could pick the winner tonight out of that Dodgers-Giants series? For me, it's the Giants. And, and I don't say that to disrespect what they've done. I mean, they won the division. They won the division over LA. I think had 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 one more win. 107 uh, and well, wins. And it, yeah, and well over 100 wins. I mean, they had one of the better seasons that I've seen in in baseball. But I think when you're just comparing the rosters, to me, LA just has a little more, a little more balance, a little more depth, a little more star power, a little more home run power. You know, you're you're, you're talking about Scherzer and Bueller, and I I just think 
San Francisco, you feel like talent-wise, you're 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 on the same level as them, maybe even a little better potentially, and you haven't had a lot of success uh, to boot with LA in in recent years. Ben Ingram mentioned, you know, recently you've struggled out west against LA, uh, but but even in Atlanta, I mean, you've you've gone up against them a couple of times in the postseason recently, and it has not gone well. So I say that with all due respect to the Giants. Great, great appreciation for what they did during the regular season. And look, if they play Atlanta, it's because they beat L.A. in a five-game series. So they would have earned it. I just think home field advantage, and we had a call during the show meeting where uh, the caller said, listen, I want the Dodgers in Atlanta because it's our our time to beat them, and they're going to have to come to Atlanta. I understand that. I just think San Francisco to me, and I feel bad saying it about a 107-win team, but I think it's the better matchup for Atlanta. Of course, it's a better matchup for Atlanta, uh, you know, Kevin and BJ, because who in the world says we want the Dodgers? Like, I, the Dodgers, you know, do, the Dodgers are usually one of the better teams, if not the if not the best team in baseball the last, you know, four or five years. Obviously, they got on the, the, the hump last year, and this Brave team super, super exceeded expectations. But when you are talking about all-star pitching top to bottom, that's what you're going to get. I mean, Kevin, you were talking about even coming out of the bullpen. They got guys throwing 102 miles an hour coming out of the bullpen. Look, just because you get really – sometimes people go, we got really, really close to beating the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, the Braves were up in that series, and look what they – they woke up a sleeping – well, they weren't a sleeping – you woke up a giant. So, for me, I do think it's going to be uh, – now, B, now, BJ, I know you say, you know, pitching wins games. Now, San Francisco has really, really good pitching, but – their lineup doesn't really scare anybody. I just think that the Braves are setting up their team to be just as good, if not better, than the Dodgers. That is not happening right now. This roster right now for the Braves is good enough to beat the Dodgers. The Dodgers have a good enough roster to beat anybody. And that, and that and to me, that's what separates. I I think this Braves team, I, I, I don't know how much home field advantage matters in baseball. I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing in baseball because, you know, I mean, you know, you're gonna put what is it two what two one two one or what? How how are you gonna uh, you know uh, separate the games? But yeah, BJ, it's always gonna be the Giants because once again, you're gonna have to be ready for a long, slow grind out type game if you are the Braves. But look, man, don't let recency bias getting you know you know cause you to lose this notion of to beat the man. You got to beat the man. Yeah, well, I mean that's a great, that's a that's great to say, but if you can avoid the man, you you avoid him. At all costs. So, yes, let's go, Giants. I just think that for, for what the Braves want to do, I think that the Braves lineup just matches up well with the, with the pitching of the Giants because with the Dodgers, man, they can beat you in so many ways. And once they catch fire, it's hard to put those guys out. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of you. I, I, I appreciate – I feel like the Dodgers – the people who are saying, hey, we want the Dodgers so we can prove it are the same people saying we want Bama. No, you don't. Stop. Like it's it, and there's nothing wrong with saying you don't. It's a it's a playoff, right? If the Dodgers are out, you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. It doesn't matter if you got to play the Dodgers. So what? That that is what it is. I mean, both these teams can score runs. I will say, San Francisco in the postseason has pitched against the Dodgers really, really well. I think their pitching is really, really good. And you look at the games they've won; have been very low scoring games. When the Dodgers have won, they've really piled on a bunch of runs. So I think from that standpoint, you look at the matchup and say, well, the Braves have pitched very, very well. Also, the Dodge, the Giants lineup to me isn't as intimidating as the L.A. Dodgers, which means you can attack hitters more. And the Braves lineup is very, very good. I feel like to beat the Dodgers, 
uh, we're you're gonna have to go into these games as a fan saying make sure the uh, the tums I got a full bottle next to the recliner uh, because it's gonna be ten to eight like it is what I mean this is what it is I don't think you're gonna go through a series in the Dodgers and say yep we're gonna win two nothing two one three no that's not I mean that that's just not gonna happen so to me I want the Giants I don't think that's to be the man you got to beat the man well if the man's already eliminated sorry not my fault right I mean that's uh, that that's just, just the way a playoff works. I don't see anybody apologizing uh, because they didn't have to play New England in the Super Bowl, right? You didn't. They, oh, sorry, New England wasn't here. Let's give the ring back. No, no, they got eliminated. We're here. We won. That's the end of story. So if you'd say who would you rather have to me, it's the Giants. I do agree. I feel it's a better matchup uh, for Atlanta, even if you don't have quote home field advantage, whatever that's worth uh, in in the postseason. Well, you go to San Francisco and take one of two. What was home field advantage last series? Did it work for Milwaukee? Nope. You took one of two, came home and finished it up in Atlanta. Same thing here. Take one or two from San Francisco. You come back to Atlanta and make it work for you. we got to come back. Matthew Lawrence is going to talk Georgia and uh, Kentucky with us when we return here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Our next guest, a man of many talents, actor, radio host, currently there with ESPN Radio Lexington, AM 1300, 92.5. Matthew Lawrence joins us here on 3 and Out. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, man. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Hey, man, we're doing fantastic. What is the vibe there in Lexington? 6-0 and for the first time since 1950. It's, it's a football town now there in Lexington. You know, here's the funny part. Tomorrow night here in Lexington is Big Blue Madness, which is our basketball kickoff to the basketball season. It's a big deal here in Lexington. Nobody is talking about Big Blue Madness. That's how big... We're a football school now, in case you don't know. Uh, It's really quite remarkable, and it's it's mostly because of the last two games here. Um, That Florida game, getting that monkey off our back, uh, beating Florida uh, here in Lexington, which hadn't happened in a very long time. And then the LSU game, everybody was afraid of a letdown, uh, and LSU is not the LSU we know, but they're still LSU with a ton of really talented football players. And for us to dominate them, and we dominated them the way that we did, it's just the excitement about the football team is, I've been here 12, going on 13 years, and I've, I haven't seen anything like it. Now, having said that, uh, I think I think this will be a pretty tough game Saturday. <laughs> Uh, Matthew, you're talking about a Kentucky team, as you mentioned, that already has a win over Florida head-to-head. You're right outside the national top ten. If you beat Georgia, you're the clear, obvious frontrunner in the East. With all that said, is, is, is this the biggest game in recent Kentucky football history? Well, some are calling it the biggest game, period, in Kentucky football history. Not recent, period. Uh, I'm not, I guess arguably you could say that because of the situation uh, and facing Georgia at number one. Uh, obviously, we've played Georgia a lot over the last few years, and they're always great. But, you know, it's the first time two 6-0 and teams and a number one have played, I think, uh, maybe in a very long time. And, and so it's, many are considering this the biggest game in Kentucky football history. Yeah. 
And man, I mean, you know, we I know we're talking about recent history. We're not too many years removed from this same, I mean, this Kentucky team going nine to three. Coach Mark Stoops, man, why don't why isn't he talked about, you know, as much as these other coaches? I'm not saying he's Nick Saban, he don't have to be. I'm not saying he's Kirby Smart, don't have to be, but just talk about what he's done for a Kentucky program that is still trying to get out of this with just a basketball school. Well, it's a great question, and the thing is, it's starting to happen now, but it took this 6-0 and start uh, to do it and beating Florida and LSU in back-to-back weeks. The amazing thing is, uh, he has said all along, and there were a couple of very rough seasons at the start when he was hired, uh, he always talked about the need for patience because any program, you know, you've got to develop talent over a period of years. But especially in the SEC, you can have really good players starting for you. But you're playing Alabama and Georgia and LSU, and their third lines are five-star guys. And so working towards that has been the difference. They, and the other thing is that Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director, and Eli Capilouto, the president, they have given him the time that he said he needed to develop this. And I think now, especially the last couple of weeks, you're seeing all kinds of national stories about, you know, schools going after Coach Stoops and all kinds of things like that. I think uh, I'm really happy because he's a wonderful man. He's a really terrific football coach. Uh, and I know everybody here at Kentucky even though it didn't start out this way, now is very grateful uh, that he's the head football coach here. Matthew Lawrence joining us here at ESPN Radio Lexington. And, uh, and Matthew, I guess if we all had the answer to this, we'd all be getting paid millions of dollars to stand on the sidelines. But how do you score on Georgia if you're Kentucky? Well, I was hoping you guys could tell me uh, so that I could relay that to my friends inside the football program. I mean – I have said all year, I've seen a couple of Georgia's games. They're an NFL defense. I mean, it's not even fair. The statistics, I know, uh, you know, we thought it was good that uh, our defense has been really good. And we have some really talented players. And we had 23 quarterback hurries. And we thought that was pretty good until we saw that Georgia had 109. I mean, it's a different, you know, it's a real different story here. Uh, luckily, the last game we played against uh, LSU, offensively, we finally put a lot of things together. And uh, you're going to have to play a absolutely perfect game against Georgia. You're going to hope that there are some mistakes made, although we haven't seen any really made by that Georgia defense. And Liam Cohn, the new offensive coordinator who came from the NFL, uh, Sean McVay, disciple, worked with him for the last three years. He, he has really done wonders with just play calling, with switching things up and different schemes. And now, of course, you can do that and still get hit with an eight-yard loss because Georgia's defense is so good. We can't turn the ball over on offense. We can't give Georgia extra possessions. And we're going to have to play an, a perfect game, I think, to have any chance to win this game. The line in this game is is 22 and a half, which is a lot. Just when you having a little trouble hearing you, you think about Kentucky being not beaten uh, around the 
I was going to say the line in this game is, is I'm sorry. 22 and a half. Can you repeat that? I'm having trouble hearing you. Uh, he was asking your question about the uh, the line, 22 and a half, uh, the line in this game. Uh, how do you view that going into a game where, again, you're a top 11 team in the country and it's 22 and a half? Well, I think, I mean, obviously we all think that's too much, but that's based on what Georgia has done this year, and it's also based on playing down there between the hedges and 90,000 people. I mean, it's, it would be hard enough if we were playing this game in Kroger Field here in Lexington. But I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the game being at Georgia. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think Georgia, and I've said it all year, is the best team in the country. Even before Alabama lost, I said it. I think that's uh, a lot of people are looking at that, including the odds makers, and going, they know Kentucky has to play a perfect game to have any chance to, to compete in this game. And I guess that's where the line comes from. I stopped betting on sports probably 30 years ago, so I'm not the best one to ask about this. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, obviously, you know, uh, Kentucky is used to, you know, paying hundreds of thousands of dollars when, uh, you know, they, they upset certain teams and pulling down goalposts. You mentioned this will be the biggest game ever in Kentucky, you know, Wildcat, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the history of Kentucky Wildcat football. But is the world ready for Kentucky to beat number one Georgia? And what does the narrative, you know, coming out of the game uh, be if we say, hey, man, the Kentucky Wildcats beat Georgia, and we're talking about the football team, not the <laughs> basketball team. Well, this, this is what I mean. This is what's so funny. I'm on the air every day here, and last two days we kept talking about Big Blue Madness being Friday night. Nobody's talking about it. If somehow Kentucky were able to win this game, I, I don't think any, any buildings would be left standing in downtown <laughs> Lexington. I mean, it's, it would be... Uh, this truly we hear in sports a lot, you know, when teams kind of with false bravado say we're going to shock the world. This would shock the world if Kentucky somehow won this football game. And then uh, we got a pretty good basketball team this year. Then look out. This, uh, Kentucky hate would be at an all-time high. <laughs> Matthew Lawrence, our guest here on Three Dot. Matthew, I wanted to ask you about your acting career, but we got like a minute left, so I feel like I would short. Okay. I feel like we would shortchange you. But uh, what's more fun, uh, doing the sports radio gig or uh, making sure uh, you know David and Donna stayed out of trouble uh, back in the nineties on nine zero two one zero? Well, uh, they're they're kind of completely different, <laughs> as I'm sure you can oh, imagine. Sure. But I've been very blessed to be able to have two careers where I got to do, you know, not many people have had a successful acting career and then covered, you know, Kentucky basketball for 12 years. Sports has always been my first love. And sometime I'll come back on the show anytime you want and we can talk more about the acting stuff. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to have you back on. Matthew, appreciate the time. We're up against it. Thanks so much and uh, enjoy the game this weekend. We appreciate it. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Matthew Lawrence, our guest here on 3 and Out. We're coming back. Hour two, right around the corner. We'll take three. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast, will join us as well as we'll look at the week upcoming in the SEC. This is Three and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're coming right back. Take three, right around the corner. Welcome back. Hour two here on Three and Out. 
Kevin, BJ, and Ben. This hour, we'll chat with Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC podcast at Houston Sport Talk 710. We'll look at uh, some reaction to Texas A&M beating Alabama. Also, look at the week that's upcoming in the SEC. Florida and LSU, if Florida wins, is Ed Ogeron pretty much done, especially with players uh, going down for the season at a high clip there. We'll look at that. Also, we'll take a look at the SEC as a whole this season. How does it stack up against the Big Ten? Right now, we'll get into that. But first, let's take three here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas, take one. Would you want, who would you want, excuse me, who would you want starting a deciding game for the Braves? Not game one, a deciding game for the Braves. Charlie Morton or Max Fried? And I'm interested to get your opinion here, uh, Kevin, on this as, as as kind of the baseball expert. But for me, I, you, you guys may have different thoughts. For me, I think Charlie Morton, three four four ERA and seven wins in the postseason. So he's done it a ton. I think he has over 70 innings pitched in the postseason. I think that experience matters. I think that experience is valuable. And Max has been great. Obviously, did not give up a a run in his start against Milwaukee. But I think the number of times that Charlie Morton has done it now uh, was was on a couple of Tampa teams that made really deep runs. Again, over 70 innings pitched in the playoffs alone with seven wins and a sub-3-5 ERA. So not only has he done it once, he's done it time and time again, multiple-year span for multiple different teams. And I think there's a comfortability with that. I say that just so grateful for Max Freed because he is looking like an ace every time we see him. But if it is a deciding game, all the pressure in the world, I want the 37-year-old who's having a career season who's done it time and time again. Well, I mean, this is the one time there is no bad choice. But, I, you know, BJ, for everything you said about Charlie Morton taking nothing away from him, I will go with Max Free because, once again, I go back to what Kevin is saying. I mean, uh, you got to throw him out there. You got to be able to have a guy that's, that's shown, you know, a lot of poise. And when you th- when you think about Max Free and every other guy, that, it was supposed to be Mike Soroka, not Max Free at this point. No Mike Soroka the entire season. Max Free pitched last year in the postseason, pitched brilliantly. And you ask Kenny. Can he uh, can he do it again? And so far, so good. You know, uh, you know, against the Brewers, I do understand that experience usually wins the day. But there's something to say about a guy who's always been clutch when you called upon him in the postseason. Yes, last year was a you know last year last year was a very very short season. But this this was a guy that was leading your team last year. You know, leading your pitching staff as far as like against those Dodgers. So yes, I know what Charlie Morton has done. But Max Fried, as of late, has been clutch. I mean, he has been consistent, and every time they called his number, I mean, he's been up to the task, so give me Max Freed. Yeah, I got to go Max Freed as, as well, BJ. I, I just like his his makeup and stuff. I know Charlie Morton has had a tremendous amount of success in the postseason, but I think Max Freed is coming into his own here, developing as a, uh, a pitcher. I know he only has a handful of games, I think 13 games of postseason Statistics obviously have not made the World Series. Charlie Morton has pitched all throughout it. I feel like where they're at currently in their in their career, I want Max Freed bulldogging on that mound in the clinching game, in the deciding game. I want him out there, and that's just a gut, a gut feel, right? I mean, Charlie Morton, let's he was out there in the deciding game the other night, basically, uh, for the Braves and the Brewers. If not, it would have been Max Freed the next uh, the next ball game, or which would have been tonight. So. Uh, to me, it's his personal preference. I think he's left-handed. I think he's got a dominating pitch, which is his curveball. 
Uh, he doesn't have to rely on heat. I, I worry sometimes, and I know Charlie's got some other pitches. I worry sometimes about guys who are just straight heat. Uh, give me a, a dominating pitch that moves. He's got that. So I, w- I would go with Max Freed at the end of the day. That's my guy. Left-handed, got a devastating curveball. I'm going to go with him. Take two. If LSU were to fire Ed Ogeron, who would be your realistic top target there in Baton Rouge? Yeah, I have to talk through a couple of candidates here because there are a few guys that immediately come to mind. I think Joe Brady would be a name that a lot of people think about. He was the offensive or the passing game coordinator, I should say, when they won the national championship a couple of years ago and uh, broke all the records. I believe he's the offensive coordinator right then for the Carolina Panthers and is doing a pretty good job. Carolina's off to a good start. Uh, You've seen success, productivity from Sam Darnold there in Carolina. But I think Joe Brady, uh, I think James Franklin is a name that we've seen rumored for some jobs. Remember, had success at a historic level in the SEC, has won as a head coach in the SEC, uh, Vanderbilt. Now, I think the question is, and this has been asked uh, as he's been rumored with other jobs in the past, is LSU a better job than Penn State? Is that a lateral move? Uh, would LSU pay more than Penn State? I think that's those are tough questions to answer. And then right there in the state, I think you have to take a look at Billy Napier. I mean, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns have become a top 25 program. Not only is Billy uh, Napier right there in the state, but he was an assistant for Nick Saban. I know that's a big deal for a lot of athletic directors when they look to hire a coach. Uh, so I think those three guys would stand out to me. Uh, Brady, Franklin, and Napier. And I think if I had to narrow it down to one, just given what happened a couple of years ago, I think I would call Joe Brady. Ooh, Joe Brady, obviously, BJ, when you think about, you know, real similar to a Dan Mullen when they had their greatest success there. I mean, an undefeated season, he had a lot to do, you know, with, with what he did for the offense, definitely the quarterback position. Um, James Franklin's name is always going to come up, not so much for what he did, what he's doing at Penn State, but what he did at Vanderbilt to get to Penn State. And he's already coached in the SEC. Uh, Billy Napier, you're going to have to give him a call because he has what nobody else has, familiarity with the state of Louisiana. He knows how to recruit in the boot. But, BJ, I think you want to go a different direction. Okay, Nick Saban, want a natty. Les Miles, want a natty. Ogeron, while he isn't, <clears throat> you know, the greatest coach, want a natty, and his teams might have been better than both the Les Miles team and the Nick Saban team. You got to have a guy that instantly, when he walks in, the, in, in, in your uh, living room, you know who he is. I think it's Eric Bieniemy, Because the thing about it is, you want a guy that knows offense, right? He knows. Knows how to develop quarterbacks. And he's been on the national radar for should be a head coach in the National Football League. NFL don't seem to be uh, hiring right now. So, for me, I would go with Eric Bieniemy. But does he want an NFL gig? He, 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 no, he would, would he rather have an NFL game? He, I guess the better well, I, question. I would say this. Yes, you always want you always want to reside. You always want to stay where you are most familiar with. But at the end of the day, do you want to be an NFL coach because of the NFL, or do you want to be on a team that matters? Because he can go to a uh, he can't be a head coach and be a Dan Campbell and go to the, and go to the Detroit Lions and then he's out of a job within two years. Or you can go to LSU and say, Hey, look, man, I understand what we're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, if you're getting head coach money, which you will be getting, you know, uh, you'll be getting NFL money at LSU, and you're on a team that matters in the hardest division in football. I mean, if LSU calls, you got to pick up the phone. Because in a sense, while he wants the NFL job, Kevin, they don't seem to be calling him. Just because you get an interview doesn't mean they really want to hire you. Um, I I work at a I work at a uh, at a department store, and I was a part of the hiring process. And walking out, I would tell people, they're not gonna call your phone. I mean, I'm just saying because I understand how it goes. 
LSU is one of the best coaching destinations in football. College of Pro, Airbnb, enemy, I think will be a slam dunk. I think Billy Napier is uh, interesting, uh, BJ. And again, it's one of those where you look at Billy Napier and say, does he, well, it sounds stupid, does he want the LSU job? I think he would, but also I think we're seeing more and more around college football. Do you want the headache that comes with the LSU job? And I mean, I'm saying, but, but yep. there, are, but there so, are guys now evaluating at, at programs like that, looking at it and saying, look, yeah, I'm going to get big time paid. I might also be out of a gig uh, in a, a short amount of time. Or... I can still have a top 25 program here at Louisiana. I'm going to get really good money, and they're not going to fire me. They're not going to do it. Unless we yeah, go, oh, Kevin, unless you go 0-10 yeah. or 0-12, they're not going to fire me because I've built a program that wins, wins consistently, goes to bowl games, and I'm comfortable here, and I have stability here, and who knows with the changing landscape of the playoff, might I be in a good spot? I know you want to strike while the iron's hot, but is he a guy that seems like might be comfortable in the job and gig he's at? No, I absolutely appreciate that. I think that, you know, there are countless uh, great jobs in, 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 in college football. I guess my question would be, and, and we don't know the answer to this, but how do you process if an LSU comes in and theoretically offers you three or four times what you're making? And I don't know off the top of my head, I think Napier might be over a million, might be close to two million. But if, but if you can look that up real quick, but I think, you know, theoretically, if LSU were to come in and say, I mean, we've, we've seen what Florida, Texas, Alabama, Clemson, Texas A&M, these schools are paying. I mean, if if you're a coach and you get offered seven, eight million a year, which I don't think would be too far from what LSU is going to offer, how do you compare and contrast all that? Well, BJ, I mean, at the end of the day, your pay is going up no matter where you get the head coaching gig at. But I'm just saying, at a place like LSU, let's remember, <clears throat> The best coaches in the world are already residing in the SEC, and you're about to add Lincoln Riley and Steve Sarkis. You're about to add them to the SEC. So you're going to be potentially coming to the SEC where it's already the biggest brand in college football. It's only going to get bigger. What do you think of Eric B. Enemy? Hey, man, uh, you know, coming to this. I mean, who you got Who you got at, at SEC Media Days tomorrow? We got, we got uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and LSU. We got, you know, potentially – Eric B. Enemy, Steve Sarkeesian, and Lincoln Riley. So sometimes it's what you're doing and where you're doing it at. Eric B. Enemy is going to demand big time dollars because he has a resume. He's coached. He's coached in what back to back Super Bowls. He's coached. Maybe um, a great, fantastic hire. Yeah. So, so, so and, and what I'm saying is, Joe Brady would be a slam dunk as well. But sometimes you want that instant credibility. Eric B. Enemy can do for LSU what Jackson State, what uh, Deion Sanders does for Jackson State. A, a, a big time name like that that can also coach helps helps uh, helps in recruiting because at the end of the day, the one thing that Eric B. Enemy has, he has NFL ties. He has he has the attention of all 32 teams, all 32 head coaches, all 32 GMs. And at the end of the day, you are trying to get hired in the National Football League. This is a guy that just left there. I would you know most guys would love to be coached on that. Got to get to uh, to take three, take three. Bucks and Eagles play tonight, Thursday night. Football is Tampa the clear favorite to win the Super Bowl. I know it's boring, but I but I think the Bucks are. I mean, I I think you can look around uh, what the Cardinals have done, really really impressive. I think the potential with the star power of the Rams uh, that that has your attention. I think uh, the Ravens, especially with that comeback. I mean, you look at the Ravens and say nobody wants to play them in the postseason. I think Green Bay. You know, there there, there are a number of teams, but right now 
And I know you have some guys out with injury, but in the postseason, assuming everybody's healthy, you have the goat at quarterback, you have Gronk, you have Antonio Brown, you have Mike Evans, you have Fournette, you have the best collection of linebackers in the league, you have the NFL's reigning sack leader, you have, you know, Barrett and Sue and Bay. I mean, it's just a Winfield. I mean, I just think, where's the weakness? So for me, I think, yes, I know it's not very original, but I think the Bucks are the favorite. I don't know if they're the favorite right now. I mean, I know they're very, very good. I mean, BJ, you can't look past the fact that this Cardinals team is undefeated right now and arguably the hardest division in football in the NFC West. I mean, when you got to play San Francisco twice, Seattle twice, you know, you know every, you know every single year, and you and you look and you look at the fact that you know Kyler Murray is is still you know balling out of his mind right now. I I think that it's gonna come down to me when it comes to the Bucks' health. Leonard Fournette is good. He's not great. I think Gronk is hurt right now. I think Levante Davis is, is ruled out right now. So you brought back everybody, but a lot of guys got 30s next to their name, like 31, 32, 33, 34, compared to 21, 22, 23. Like Winfield, he the young. I mean, he's still called Tom Brady, sir, because I think he played with his daddy. So I just think that for me, I like what the Bucks are doing. You still listen. You still you you still got time to rip. So you got a shot. But it's gonna come down to health. It's gonna come down to you know scheme and you know can those guys get out there and make it happen? Antonio Brown is playing better, but Green Bay is still Green Bay. Uh, Kyler Murray and what he's doing with 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 Hop, you know uh, you know uh, you know with the, with AJ Green and those guys and, and and another team that I don't like to give credit to, Dallas is playing really really well. Really well. So the NFC has gotten a lot better really, really quickly. So while the NFC South isn't much to talk about, even though because Atlanta, you know, they can get wins in, you know, in London. They kind of hard to get wins in the States <laughs> right now. I, I, I just think that for me, look at the, look at the cast of characters around them. They got a lot more competition, but they are definitely in the mix. We've got more to get to. That's take three. Chris Gordy, Houston Sports Talk 710 and the Locked On SEC Podcast. He will join us when we return. It's three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. College football turned on his head last week. Texas A&M beating Alabama kind of sets the the SEC on its head there as well. A lot of storylines heading into this Saturday's game. Georgia, Kentucky, Florida, LSU. Could it be the uh, start of the end for Ed Ogeron there on the hot seat at LSU? We'll talk about that and more with our next guest uh, from Houston Sports Talk 710 and of the Locked On SEC podcast. Chris Gordy joins us here on 3 and Out. Chris, welcome. How are you? Hey, what's going on, guys? Good to talk with you. Hey, appreciate you coming on. Uh, Texas A&M over Alabama. You're Quick reaction, not just from the win, but how it changed things, if at all, in in the SEC. Are we still on a Bama-Georgia collision course here? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't change much because of A&M's losses that they had. I mean, this this was actually an upset I picked before the season. Uh, you know, I thought just with a rocking Kyle Field and that atmosphere and that game, I thought A&M was going to have a chance at the upset. only problem was when I predicted it, I thought that, they would be completely undefeated, and I thought that, you know, it would be with a different quarterback in Haynes King. But, well, the whole gives Zach Calzada some credit. I mean, he figured out a way to get it done and a way to get the win. And, um, you know, for A&M, like I said, unfortunately, it comes on the heels of two straight losses. And, you know, just to get to Atlanta, you need Alabama to take another loss. And based on track records, I don't know if Alabama has another loss on their regular season schedule. Chris, switching gears over to LSU, uh, taking on Florida this weekend. If we see another loss for the Tigers, I mean, could you see Ed Orgeron get get dismissed in season here? How hot is his seat? 
Yeah, it's getting pretty hot. I mean, I, I think uh, I talked with somebody at LSU yesterday. He said there was about a 95% chance he's gone by the end of this season. He said anything short of LSU running the table and winning all their remaining games, uh, Ogeron's going to be out. Now, is he fired at the end of the season? Is he fired midseason? I think that's how these next few weeks play out. And when you look at their schedule, I mean, you get a brutal game against Florida this weekend, and then your next handful of games are at Ole Miss and at Alabama. So, I think if they lose all three of those, you're talking about a five-game losing streak. And you know, if it gets ugly and you're blowing out all of them, kind of like you were this past weekend at Kentucky, I think uh, I think that would be enough grounds for firing. But I think uh, some people kind of said, you know, there's no obvious interim candidate. So with that said, it may just be better to keep Coach O in there. Because remember this part, guys. December with the early signing period, Coach O's one big trait that he's good at is recruiting. So you know, I wouldn't think it would hurt anything to let him go the rest of the way. Uh, continue to try to recruit and put together at least somewhat of a good signing class by December. And Chris, how how unique has that has that LSU head coaching job become as of late? I mean, you talk about Nick Saban, who said openly at Alabama, the only my biggest regret is leaving LSU. You t- you talk about Les Miles and Coach O, who might have the best team of the national championship team at LSU with, with those other two coaches. How? How much hotter is that seat, even if they're going to get rid of Coach O? Because what is the realistic expectation for the new guy? Yeah, I mean, I think realistic expectations are sustained success, right? I mean, you're going to have a down year. Coach O went from a national championship in 2019 to last year going 5-5 five and five and, you know, with the SEC-only schedule. I think a lot of fans are willing to accept that. They weren't happy with it, finishing 500, but they said, okay, we can look past that, but you better take a step forward this year. And so when you start the season off with a loss at UCLA, you lose at home to Auburn where you led you know, by, by nine points late, and then you lose blowing out Kentucky, I think this is where the, the fans start going, okay, you don't get a, you got a pass last year. You don't get a pass two years in a row. And so that's where I think ex- expectations are. I think most fan bases are realistic. They're willing to have one down year, but you can't have two down years in a row at programs like Florida and LSU. But I heard somebody say the other day, they said, you know, God help whoever goes in there next, you know, because it's going to be a tough job, and, you know, they better make the right hire. And then somebody else said, well, it seems like they don't really. It doesn't really matter if it's the right hire because Les Miles didn't seem like the right hire at the time. Coach O didn't seem like the right hire at the time, and yet both those guys won national championships there. So even if you get a middling coach in here that doesn't excite the fan base, odds are he's probably going to win a championship because each of the last three coaches that LSU have. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast, uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. Georgia and Kentucky, a top 11 matchup with those two. Uh, the spread, though, 22 points. Is this more the same from Georgia, or do you think Kentucky has a puncher's chance to uh, to make some magic happen? I think, I think Kentucky has a puncher's chance if they can keep this thing low scoring. Uh, and the way they're going to have to do that is, Bottle up the run game for, for Georgia, hold them to some three, you know, third downs, try to force some punts. And if it's Stetson Bennett at quarterback, and you know, I haven't heard the latest of JT Daniels, but it sounded like it's probably going to be another week of Stetson, he's done a good job of managing the game. But what happens if they fall behind? You know, that they haven't really faced that much this year. So uh, the Georgia defense is legit. They don't give up touchdowns. So that's why I think Kentucky's only chance to win this one is a low scoring affair. We saw they got the special teams touchdown on the block kick against Florida a few weeks ago. I think it's going to take something like that, a defensive touchdown, a couple turnovers, a block kick, something like that for Kentucky to pull off the win. It's not, it's not likely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I think whatever the, the over-under I saw was 44 and a half. I would take the, I would take the under in this one because these are two really good defenses, and I think we get a low-scoring game.
And Chris, with with Georgia's defense, we've seen some stats. Uh, one of the best defenses of this generation, statistically, just eye test in your mind, is this group up there with some of the best defenses we've seen maybe in 10, 20, 30 years in college football? Yeah, it, it sure seems like it. I had somebody tell me in the offseason, they said, yeah, this is, this is going to be Kirby's best bunch that he's had since he's been at Georgia. And I started looking, I'm like, man, they put a lot of guys in the NFL the last couple of years. And I said that they have a chance with guys like, you know, Jordan Davis coming back and pieces like that. But I just, you know, I said, I don't know if this is going to be the best. Well, so far through the first handful of games, it's looking that way. Um, you know, they got a bunch of, a handful of interceptions. I'd like to see them get that number up a little bit higher. I think even the sack total, they could get up a little bit higher. But so aggressive, man. Just the linebacker court itself, from Nolan Smith to Nicobe Dean, those guys so good. Chris Smith in the, in the secondary. Like, I, it's just. Top to bottom, it, it is the best, most uh, sound defense in, in all of college football, from the D-line to the linebackers to the DBs. And I don't know if there's even a close second to this team. You know, it'd be, it'd be big news going into the game and coming out of the game is, yep, Georgia is who we thought they were. We thought they were – I mean, it was Auburn last week. Oh, Georgia just too good. I mean, Arkansas two weeks before that, Georgia just too good. You talk about Kentucky being able to have – you know, maybe they keep it close. But, you know, how impressed are you with this Kentucky team? Regardless of how they got to the 6-0, they're 6-0. How impressed are you with this Kentucky bunch that's, you know, rewriting the script of not just being a basketball school? Yeah, I was at the game in Lexington this past weekend and seeing them firsthand. First off, that, this fan base is, I mean, so excited. They've been waiting for some kind of relevance in football for, for years and years. And, you know, they are a basketball school, but they support the football team when they're, when they're this good. And uh, they showed out this past weekend. I thought Kroger Field was rocking. It was an electric atmosphere. And they grabbed the bull by the horns, and, and they took it to LSU. But – um, no, I mean, I, what I like most about him is what their new offensive quarter, Liam Cohen, is doing. He's taking what, what, what the defense has given him, not doing anything crazy. They're saying, okay, you're going to line up and put a bunch of guys in the box, and we're going to roll a running back out. We're going to throw it to him. We're just going to find the open man. And Will Levis, I heard some people kind of critical of him, saying, oh, he doesn't have the great numbers and all that. He doesn't need the eye-popping numbers. He just needs to find Wondell Robinson, find Josh Ali, find the open man. Man, that's, that's the, it sounds so common sense, but that's what Liam Cohen's doing with this offense. He's taking what the defense has given him, and so far it's been super effective through the first six weeks. Chris Gordy, Houston Sports Talk 710, also host of the Locked On SEC podcast. And uh, kind of says a lot about what's happening in the SEC, uh, Chris, when Lane Kiffin going back to Knoxville is like the fourth or fifth most interesting story uh, of the week. But uh, he goes back to Knoxville this week. Tennessee, a couple weeks off a 60-point uh, performance in the SEC. Ole Miss trying to stay with just, uh, just one loss. Is this a 59-55 to type football game there with uh, Tennessee and Ole Miss this weekend? You know, that would be a lot of fun. I'd love for that to happen. I just don't know if Tennessee's offense can match what Ole Miss is going to do offensively. And I like what Tennessee's done the past few weeks. They've run the ball very effectively. Tyon Evans looks great. I love what Hendon Hooker's been doing. They've been, they've been you know, jumping out early on teams, grabbing, you know, grabbing that big first, uh, first quarter and running up touchdowns and, and doing it very well. I just know this. Lane Kiffin's looking at it. Look, I put my foot in my mouth a few weeks ago. We got embarrassed at Alabama. You know, every fourth down that we didn't get. I know what, what Lane Kiffin's looking at right now. He wants to run the table. He wants to get to a New Year's Bowl. And he wants to try to win Matt Corral the Heisman. So what does that mean? Every opportunity to run up the score, they're going to try to do that with Matt Corral. Get him a ton of more touchdowns and yardage and all that. 
I just wonder, can Tennessee keep up? We saw Arkansas go toe-to-toe with Ole Miss last week. I thought Ole Miss's defense had been much improved prior to these last couple of games that they've had, where they've looked more like the Ole Miss defense of last year. I, you know, if it's a hostile environment in Knoxville, Neyland Stadium is rocking, maybe Tennessee can, can get into it and force them into some false starts, and maybe they punt a couple times. But I just wonder down the stretch in the second half. Remember the Tennessee-Florida game a few weeks ago where Tennessee played really well the first half, and the second half they just kind of ran out of gas? I could see that happening this week against Ole Miss. And, Chris, finally, when you think about the SEC right now, the only two undefeated teams are playing each other, with one of them being Kentucky. Alabama already has a loss. I mean, Kevin mentioned, you know, Elaine Kiffin is a big story because he's going back to Tennessee. We don't know who is the third-best team in the SEC right now. What is the state of the SEC right now to you? Yeah, I mean, we could say the two undefeated in Kentucky and Georgia, but Alabama still is one of the, the top two best teams in the SEC. Let's not get it twisted. I, I, I couldn't believe when I saw that they're only a 17-point favorite at Mississippi State this weekend. I, I just think they're going to go to Starkville, let their frustrations out. They're going to run up the score. And uh, we're going to blink and go, man, uh, all right, so is Mike Leach getting fired this year? I, I just think that that's what's going to happen this weekend. Um, you know, Alabama, just the talent they have, I think Nick Saban scolded them as much as they needed to this week at, at practice. So I expect Alabama to bounce back. And I think come Monday, you know, if Georgia does what I think they're going to do to Kentucky, I think on Monday we're going to be standing here going, okay, it's Georgia and Alabama. They're the two best teams in, in, in the SEC. Kentucky is the third. And, you know, you're probably talking about Florida, which I think they're going to put it on LSU this weekend. Probably talking about Florida right there. It's the fourth best team in the SEC, and guess who meets next week? You know, we're talking Georgia and Florida. So um, I'm not discounting Florida from beating Georgia just yet. I need to see Florida get their stuff together this week, and if Emory Jones throws it all over the field with LSU, I think that's going to be a heck of a game coming up. Chris Gordy, our guest here on the 3 Not Locked On SEC podcast. Chris, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. Just check out LockedOnSEC.com for all the latest podcasts. Absolutely. Chris Gordy joining us here on 3 and Out. Big weekend in the SEC. But where is the SEC? You kind of hit it on it there at the end. We'll give our take when we return here on 3 and Out. feel like with the way uh, college football has gone the, the last few years, what we want to get into here is potentially borderline blasphemous, uh, BJ and Ben. But here in 2021, we're at the halfway pole. Uh, of this season a lot of teams got their six games uh, in already some maybe even have gone one more than that but is the Big Ten better oh I'm stepping back in case hands came flying through the uh, through the radio but is the Big Ten you got half the top 10 normally that's SEC type stuff but you got half the top 10 and I know the first argument is well the Big Ten hasn't played that's true you look at a lot of those teams in the top 10 they have not played one another like some of the matchups we've seen in the SEC. But, BJ, I know you've got a case that could be made either way. What say you? Is the Big Ten just simply a little bit better? Not saying that the teams at the top aren't good, that Georgia's not good, that Bama's not good, but as is the conference as a whole a little bit better right now than the SEC? I would be more comfortable saying that the SEC might be a little bit overrated, just contextually this season, than I would right now mid-October, saying the Big Ten is way better or better. I, you know, I meant to say a little bit better, not way better, a little bit better than the SEC. And I think the point you made, Christian was talking about that earlier today, and, and this does matter. Uh, don't, don't kid yourself. You haven't seen the big Big Ten teams play each other yet. 
And when that happens, teams will compile losses and you will move down in the rankings. And I think that is a very fair point. But I also think when you look at the SEC, you know, I have I have a lot of questions about LSU. And I know they were 500 last year, but I'm not sure they're going to make a bowl game this season. Uh, I think that I look at Auburn, and Auburn lost to Penn State, probably got a fortunate call against Georgia State. I look at Auburn and go, that's not a really good team at this point. Uh, I think you even predicted this, Kevin. Maybe we start to see a little bit of the Arkansas regression where their games they play on, they're scaring them down a little bit. I think we're still waiting to see with Ole Miss and Tennessee. Vanderbilt is terrible. Missouri's been a major disappointment. Uh, I think South Carolina is making some progress. But I think a lot of your top programs in the SEC aren't necessarily having showcase seasons. Now, I will say this. Right now, I think the two best teams in the country are Georgia and Alabama. I know Alabama has a loss, but I still think the two best teams in the country are Georgia and Alabama. So by that metric, I think I will lean SEC over the Big Ten. I can appreciate the Big Ten's progress. I mean, Ohio State's really good. Look what they're doing. Iowa is number two in the country. Penn State is probably one of the five or six best teams in the country. And look, shout out to Michigan and Michigan State, Mel Tucker. Uh, they're, they're both undefeated. I want to see where they are in a couple of weeks. But for me, Ben, if you want to tell me the SEC is a little bit overrated, I think I might hear that because of what we've seen at LSU and Auburn and even Texas A&M beating Alabama. I mean, before that, it was not impressive. But I would still lean SEC over Big Ten right now. Number one, I don't think the SEC is overrated. I just think that sometimes we, uh, BJ and Kevin, we are we are creatures of this. We get used to the best teams being the best teams every year, and when the best team in college football loses, we're like, "What's going on now? Are there some outliers?" Yes, I mean, what Kentucky is doing is not normal right now. We get that. We thought that Auburn was going to be better because Bo Nix had already won, you know, uh, an Iron Bowl, and they gave him everything new. Even gave him a running game, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, same old Bo Nix. Tennessee is a curious case right now because we thought the Mizzou would be a little better. Uh, you know, Arkansas is another outlaw. Didn't see them doing as well. But BJ and Kevin, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State are getting ready for the best second half or the most exciting because none of them have played each other yet. So this is going to be turned on his head. But I will give credit to the Big Ten. I don't know what PJ is, but I am going to give credit to the Big Ten. Now, somebody find PJ. No, no, no. Somebody find no, PJ. Listen, listen, no. Sometimes in life you be moving too fast. Sometimes in life you need to slow down. You know how you slow down? What? You watch Big Ten football. You're going to no. slow. No, no, no. This is like the backhanded no, 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 compliment. No, no, no. You slow I, down I and watch, watch Big Ten Penn, football. Listen, I watch Penn State, Iowa. Very, very good game. Which starting quarterback didn't get hurt. But, no, BJ, two things can be happening. The Big Ten can be good without comparing it to the SEC being overrated. Nope, nope, nope. I don't think. I don't think the SEC is overrated at this point. I just think that teams are getting better because we get so focused on them being no, bad no, hold all on the time. Man. Hold, hold on, man. This is, this is all I mean by that. I'm not saying that like the SEC is historically bad. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. I'm saying if you go back to the preseason polls, right, as the starting point, everybody had LSU as a top 10 team. LSU, man, they're bouncing back. Max Johnson, Kayshawn Boutte, Stingley, and Ricks. Now, granted, you've had a lot of injuries. They probably have more injuries than anybody in the country. But LSU has gone from being a preseason top 10 team to not being in the top 25. I think you look at Auburn, right? You saw a lot of people say, 
Auburn's going to be top 15 good. They got a three-year starter at quarterback, and Auburn has not been impressive and very fortunate to beat uh, Georgia State the way they did. I think a lot of people, including myself, had Missouri projected to be a top 25 type team. They have not been good. They have not been good. Even though Texas A&M beat Alabama, if you look at the cross-conference games, Colorado's been like one of the one of the seven or eight worst teams in the country. Texas A&M had to get a late conversion. And what what was that, Kevin? 10 to 7 or something like that? It was, yeah, it was not Colorado. a great game. Yeah. I mean, all I'm saying is if you want to tell me, and I love SEC football. I think it's the best league in the game. But I think if you want to tell me that compared to what we thought we were going to see in the beginning of the season, that the SEC has been a little overrated, I'd be willing to hear that. I'd be willing to hear. I mean, Ben, let me ask you this. Has has Florida lived up to the hype? No. I mean, I think a, I mean, I think a lot of programs around the league, if you were to go team by team, I mean, look at it like this. Outside of Georgia, Ole Miss, Tennessee, if you want to say that, in Kentucky, have any of the other teams exceeded expectations? I think you have four teams that have exceeded expectations and probably 10 teams that have not. No, BJ, this, 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 listen, uh, this segment is wrong. It should be, is the, is the SEC storylines overrated? Yep, they are because they haven't lived up to what we thought they was going to be. I get that part. But you are always beating the drum for Coastal Carolina, right? <laughs> You're beating the drum for Cincinnati. Why? Because instead of looking at their body of work and what they've done, we look at who they play and how they play. With the SEC, when Alabama is losing this early and it's not to a LSU or Georgia, you're thinking, wow, you know, look who beat them. But I am just saying the storyline's overrated. Oh, my God. Going into the season, we got it all backwards. We really, really did. And, and, I can, and I can admit that. But it is just at this current juncture – Right now, two undefeated, two undefeated teams, two undefeated teams um, in the SEC. Neither one is Alabama. Two undefeated teams. Uh, uh, no, yeah, two undefeated teams right now in the Big Ten. None of them are Ohio State. So I mean, I I I I get it, BJ and Kevin. Yes, the Big Ten is a good conference, but at the end of the day, the SEC will always get the branding. It will always get the benefit of the doubt. And yes, BJ and Kevin, not only. Is the SEC a little bit overrated this year? We need to get on the bandwagon and think, hey, I don't think it's a changing of the guard, but they definitely changing shifts. Hey, man, who I thought was working at this time, it's a, it's a dude that said he went to Kentucky, and he said he's never lost this season. I'm like, he crazy, but he's telling the truth. So I got to give credit when credit is due, but B.J., you know, Coastal Carolina, Cincinnati, that's kind of what's going on right now in the SEC. It ain't your usual suspects, but we will take it. But if Kentucky beats Georgia – and George and Kentucky's in Atlanta, then, ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem, a huge problem, <laughs> but I got to see that to believe it. I don't think we're ever going to get to uh, get to that point. I do, I do want to uh, say something about Ben's take about watching slow Big Ten football. It has long been a take of mine that the Penn State uniform adds a half second to your 40 time. There, there's no scientific <laughs> evidence of that, just my two eyeballs, but that's all I'm going to say. That's it. The boys, they run BJ, bad, they run BJ when they're at home and they got the blue jerseys on and those white pants, and you look at those linebackers running, you're like, dude, I think that guy's running like a four eight or four nine or like a five foot flat forty. Like they just look like they've added a half second look, to man, their forty times. This is all I'll say. It's to all that. I'm saying. You 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 are an expert on forty yard dash times. No, I'm an expert on thirty five yard dashes. No, no, Kevin, no, no, Kevin, no, Kevin is an expert on two on white tube socks with black shoes. That's why deep down inside, he really likes Penn State. I really do. I I could be a pseudo fast looking linebacker at Penn State if I got the uniform right. 
right? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean I'm just playing. I'm, come I'm just on, saying Thomas with the tackle. You see a guy getting up with the cowboy on. If you see PJ come out from that studio behind me off the top rope, then you'll know I'm in big, big trouble. Kevin said I chose. I chose. Listen, I chose Penn State, you know, over Iowa because I don't wear black socks. <laughs> period. Not doing it. <laughs> we got more to come here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Have you here on this Thursday? Kevin, BJ, and Ben coming up in just a couple of weeks. Obviously, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party taking place there in Jacksonville. And coming up in a couple of weeks, Ben, your Florida Georgia Legends series returned. I know two years ago, great event. Last year, you did it virtually. It was a big success. Had a lot of folks uh, involved with it. Now it's back October the 29th on Friday at the Westin on Jekyll Island. Yeah, but really, really excited about uh, the third annual. I remember when I first... I uh, had a mind of doing something like this. I mean, I appreciate you, Kevin, and, and BJ, and Christian, and Mark, and PJ, and Mama B, Papa B, Cam, you know, everybody that, that helps me put, the, you know, Christian, everybody helps me put this put this together because it is a group effort. But as a former player, I say to myself, how do I pay homage to the guys that came through the game? And this is my way of doing it. This year, I mean, from the Georgia side, Washington Ely, DJ Jones, Willie McClendon, Florida, Carlos Alvarez, Jeff, Jeff Chandler, and D. Webb, you know, as you mentioned, it's going to be held, uh, you know, at the Western Hotel on Jekyll Island on October 29th. But I, I'm just, I'm just really looking forward to the conversation. Three years ago, you know, you had guys like John Lassing, you know, you had guys like Paul, you know, Ewald, you know, Ewald in there. I mean, you had, it was just great to have former players just sitting around talking about the game, what the games means to them, how hard it is to just make it to Saturday, and to know, to know that people plan their entire year around one, around one game and one weekend. It's a blessing, but yes, uh, you know, my third annual Florida Georgia Legend Series held October 29th at the Westin Hotel on Jekyll Island. It's going to be fun. It's going to be star-studded. Kevin Thomas will be there, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> to, uh, to uh, you know, sign autographs, take pictures. B.J. Bennett, you know, uh, who also, um, you know, uh, helped me, uh, you know, write, uh, write my book, Uncommon Unfinished. He will be there. Cam. Cam with a K. You know what I'm saying? Cam Ursery. He will be there. Christian Gokel. It's going to be star-studded, but I, I am looking forward to it, B.J. and Kevin, because it's one thing to have something in your mind. It's another thing to see it come to the forefront. I'm looking forward to uh, meeting some meeting some guys that are playing in the game. And, uh, you know, dare I say, man, here I am trying to do my best to make sure I give these guys flowers while they can smell them. Well, and I think it's a really cool thing for fans to, you know, have a chance to meet uh, some of these all-time greats, hear from guys, hear their, their personal stories, you know, personal memories from the game. And, uh, again, from Florida, Carlos Alvarez, Jeff Chandler, D. Webb. From Georgia, Washine Ely, DJ Jones, uh, Willie McClendon. Uh, these are these are guys that made big plays, had big moments, and to hear them talk about the rivalry right there and hear the roundtable that you host, really awesome. So, Kevin, looking forward to that on uh, October the 29th. Yeah, big chance to uh, to see uh, some greats of the game just come out and talk football, talk about their time in the Georgia Florida series. No trash talking whatsoever, none. Right, Ben? Just... Oh no, 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 no. I, 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 listen, <laughs> it, 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 it started off real pleasant, but. I, I will say this. I, you know, I had to get my fanboy on uh, the other day. I called Carlos Alvarez. He, he told me, do not call him Mr. Alvarez. <laughs> he said, call me Carlos. So I'm going to try to remember that come the 29th. Yeah, it's, it's good for fans. Come on out and enjoy the uh, the evening. I believe it's outside there behind the Western Ocean side. Looking forward to, uh, to that event coming up the Friday before Georgia, Florida, there at the Western on Jekyll Island. we got another hour to go here on 3 and Out. Stay with us on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Final hour of three and out here. Kevin Thomas, Ben True, BJ Bennett, thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll hear from Ben Ingram. If you missed that earlier, talking about the Braves awaiting 
their opponent in the NLCS. We'll have that late tonight. Dodgers and Giants uh, for you. We'll see who comes out and who the Braves will play. Giants win. Braves got to go to San Francisco. Dodgers win. Dodgers come to Atlanta to get things started. But as we talked earlier with Chris uh, with Chris Gordy and Matthew Lawrence talking about Georgia, Kentucky, not sure who's going to start Saturday for Georgia. Is it Stetson Bennett? Is it JT Daniels? JT Daniels kind of got that lingering lat injury that's uh, been carrying on throughout the season. JT Daniels, 76% on the season, 69% for Stetson Bennett. 746 yards for Stetson. 567 for JT Bennett or JT Daniels been very close in terms of that eight to two five to two ratio for Bennett and Daniels at the quarterback spot and uh, Aaron Murray went on Macro and Kubelik and said hey, look quote there's more to being a quarterback than just throwing the football it can make you make the guys around you play better and get the other ten guys on the same page and confident and also the defense confidence. Right now in that locker room talking to people there's more confidence and belief in Stetson than there is in JT is JT a better quarterback yes. But Stetson makes everyone else around him because of that confidence. So I'm sticking with Stetson, especially if he goes out there and has another great game versus Kentucky this weekend. What say you, B.J. Bennett? Is it Stetson Bennett or J.T. Daniels that gets the call? Well, I think I think right now you're going to see more of Stetson Bennett. And, and I don't think J.T. Daniels is 100% healthy. We've heard that you have to look at you have to rest. You have to let that lat, I guess, rehabilitate, and any extra pressure or strain you put on it sort of delays that. But I think Stetson Bennett has done an outstanding job. And I know, Ben, you've talked week to week about the value of having a backup quarterback that you can turn to who maintains the status quo, who's effective, who can make throws. I mean, I mentioned I wrote in a story on Southern Pigskin, and I understand this isn't a direct parallel, but just for frame of reference – uh, Matt Jones set a new single-season passer rating a year ago for college football. Stetson Bennett's current passer rating is higher than that. And a lot of that coming from uh, the big plays you had against UAB, but still, when he's been given opportunities, he has made big plays. He now has two wins over Auburn, was incredibly proficient last year in the win over the Tigers, was incredibly proficient this year in the win over the Tigers. I think he does inspire confidence around him. I think he does sort of have an energy to him that resonates with the whole team. I think Stetson Bennett had, what, close to 50 yards rushing the other day has brought that element uh, to the team as well. So a guy that's averaging 12 yards per pass attempt, has eight touchdowns, has two interceptions, is making the, the smart throws, is making the throws to bring balance to the offense. I don't, I don't think you make a change. And that's with all due appreciation and respect for JT Daniels. I don't think he's hurt right now. And I'm not saying we never see JT Daniels again. Obviously, we're going to see JT Daniels again. And he is one of the better quarterbacks in the country. But right now, Stetson Bennett's in rhythm. His play seems to match the momentum of the team. And I think he's playing really well. I think you I think you stick with Stetson Bennett right now. I mean, what else do we, what else do we have to see? I mean, what what is it about Stetson Bennett that we can't seem to get out of our head? I mean, uh, you talk to DJ Shockley about Stetson Bennett. He says, listen, man, he's a gamer. He's a guy that goes out there, you know. I mean, he's not going to look the part. You talk to Aaron Murray, the – the all-time leading passer in SEC history, who also was a great uh, quarterback, you know, uh, you know, at Georgia, said, "Look, I'm sticking with Stetson." You look at the stats, BJ. You, you you say the stats, you know, tell you a lot about a player. Both of the guys got two interceptions. I mean, you know, one guy's you know averaging 12 yards, you know, per attempt. Daniels is averaging you know eight yards per attempt. But the thing is, isn't this hasn't this been the story of JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett since they've been paired together? You go back to 2020, sound a lot similar. 
JT Daniels was supposed to be the guy. Stetson Bennett is the guy you need at the time because he's available. Availability may be the greatest ability that you have as a football player. Can't do anything if you're not there. Stetson is there. And then Aaron said, is JT Daniels a better quarterback? Yes. Based off of what? What makes JT better than Stetson? Because he lit it up against Mississippi State against his debut? Because he, he, he threw for a bunch of yards, you know, uh, in, in the Peach Bowl? What makes JT better? One guy got asked to come back. Another guy left his previous team. So when you, when you, the only thing JT is better than Stetson, to me, is he's, t- he's taller than him. Okay? He has, quote, a bigger arm, if you want to say that. And he has hype. Hype is something that is bigger than narratives because people don't, people don't want to believe the hype about a guy like Stetson Bennett. And BJ and Kevin, we keep saying this. They can win without, they can win without JT. You know why? Because they have Stetson. That's why they can win because they also got Carson. Carson, they barely want to put Carson back in. A guy they recruited, five-star, they won't let him play. So, for me, it's bigger than just what Stetson brings to the table. BJ, like me and you, we look at football different. You say the box scores tell you all I need to know. I, I'm an eye test guy. I want to look at a guy and see. So, you're telling me that one guy had the full offseason this year, no excuses, win the SEC media days as a, you know, as, as a guy, but he's injured. And I don't care how good of a player he is. If you're not available, you can't do much. Can't make the club in the tub. That's, that's something you hear all the time in football. Stetson Bennett, what? at this point, has had a better career and a bigger impact for the Georgia Bulldogs than JT Daniels. But we keep acting as if, hey, man, when JT get hurt, he's going to be, he's going to do what? So I'm just waiting on why we can't, like, BJ, I keep on going back to, if I'm just watching Coastal Carolina and I'm not being biased, that's one of the best teams in the country. But then it's, who do they play? If I'm watching Cincinnati and that's one of the best teams in the country, yeah, who do they play? They got to go, Notre Dame, UCF. No. How do you play? When Stetson plays, he's efficient. And I know, and everybody would love to have that defense, but I, I don't think it's closer than people, than people make it. It's just a Stetson Bennett probably doesn't have, you know, tall parents. Because if he did, he would be a little taller. We are talking about genetics. We are not talking about X and O's. Because if JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett made the same throw, listen to what people say about it. I just think this comes down to, you know, a narrative about one guy will never, ever be accepted for another guy. And I just don't know what, what, what this big thing. JT Daniels was the Heisman frontrunner or one of the Heisman hopefuls before the season started, based off of what? So that, that's, you know, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I know what I said the other day about Stetson. I'm not calling him to win the Heisman. I am just saying impact has to matter. And if you take Stetson Bennett off this Georgia team in 2020 and 2021, what type of team do you have in front of you? Well, I mean, I think Georgia knows, as you've said, Ben, I don't know if we're talking about who's better than this, that, but I, I know Georgia knows they can win games with Stetson, and they can win games with – with uh, JT Daniels, I think you go into this game with Kentucky, if you believe you can win with Stetson, you play him. Why? Well, that'd be another week for JT Daniels to rest uh, and recover. He gets the off week before Florida. So you're talking about three, four weeks where he does not have to play and can be as healthy as possible going into uh, the Florida game. I think that also proposes another potential issue is, okay, Stetson will not, or JT Daniels will not have played in a month going into that Florida game. Do you then switch quarterbacks going into that game, BJ, uh, essentially, by giving JT Daniels the job back. That could be, to me, the more interesting discussion because I truly believe Georgia thinks, look, we can win. We can beat Kentucky whether Stetson plays or JT Daniels plays. But if we don't need to play JT Daniels, then we're not going to. Yeah, I mean, I, in terms of what's going to happen in the Georgia-Florida game, I think a lot of that's going to depend on what's out in front of us, right? 
What does JT Daniels' health look like in two weeks? What do we see offensively out of Georgia against a very good Kentucky team and a defense, let's not forget, that held Florida to 13 points? So I think there are some unknowns there. I think if you take the field with Stetson Bennett, you feel confident you can beat Florida. You feel confident you can play with and beat anybody. I mean, the way Stetson Bennett's play. But I also think some of the surprise, I guess, relative surprise around the country of, wow, you know, Stetson Bennett's putting up these great numbers. I mean, high school football fans in the state of Georgia know all about Stetson Bennett. I mean, finished his career at Pierce County in the top 10 in Georgia high school football history in passing yards and passing touchdowns. And, you know, the Sean Pender offense and the big plays and throwing the ball downfield. I mean, Stetson's one of the great high school quarterbacks in the history of the state. And I think, like you said, Ben, he's proven it in a couple of different capacities for Georgia. You know, went to Georgia right away as a walk-on. Then you're talking about coming back. Then you're talking about being, you know, the emergency reserve quarterback. Now you're talking about him essentially serving as the starting quarterback and being the guy week to week. And every time he's been called upon, he's answered. And he's been there with big plays, with game management, with proficiency, with leadership. I mean, those comments about from Aaron Murray saying, listen, guys in the locker room, believe in Stetson. That's incredibly powerful. You talk about impact. I mean, to take the field and know that everybody out there is saying, hey, you're the guy. We can do this. We can win. And I think that's there with Stetson and JT. But I think right now Stetson Bennett has earned this opportunity. He's validated himself. He's played really, really well. Uh, He's helped Georgia become the number one team in the country. And I think to all of a sudden just say, all right, that's it. I think you have to ride the hot hand. I think you have to go with the guy that has momentum. JT Daniels is a great player. We'll see what the future holds. But I think you take the field on Saturday with great confidence in Stetson Bennett. Even if, listen, even if you lose on Saturday with Stetson Bennett, you still don't take him out because Georgia's coming. I mean, Florida's coming. Because Stetson played against Florida last year. JT has not, not played against a lot of these teams. Stetson Bennett has earned the hardest thing there is to earn in sports, and it's also the only way and only reason you play, and that is trust. You do not trust JT Daniels, not because he is not a good player, because he is injury-prone. It started in USC. He brought that from USC to Georgia. He didn't start when he first got to Georgia because he was injured. He didn't play this. He had to play in a month because he's injured. Trust is the hardest thing to earn from a coach. That is the hardest thing to earn. So, I'm, and I'm giving, like, answer to a test. So, if you have a favorite player, Kevin, you are a coach, right? You, it doesn't matter how, how old the kids are. I have to trust the kids that I, that I tried out there. Not because he's a good kid. Every kid on the team is a good kid. Can I trust him? Because if I can't, I, I can't let him go out there. Right now, Stetson Bennett has earned the trust of the two people that matter, the head coach and the players on the team. Aaron Murray talked to the players. And the reason, and whenever you ask a head coach, I mean, who's going to be the starter? Uh, because he doesn't want to say Stetson to, quote, hurt JT's feelings, he'll say, I'm not going to talk about it. But if it was JT, he would say it's JT. So I give Stetson Bennett a lot of credit. When we look back on the legacies of players at the University of Georgia at the quarterback position, how many of them can say they were the number one team in the country when they was at Georgia? Stetson Bennett can say, oh, when I was at Georgia, we were number one in the country. How many quarterbacks can say that, period? So for me... I don't get where the hesitation is from. If, if, the, if the only opinion that matters is the players and the players say we trust him, go with him. Because if you take him out because the other guy helps us recruit and he's who we, you know, said was going to take us to the promised land, what in his present or past will make you believe that? 
We'll see what the goal is coming up on uh, Saturday. Georgia and Kentucky will come back. If you missed it earlier, we had a great conversation with Ben Ingram. Braves await Giants or Dodgers. They play tonight. We'll hear from Ben Ingram next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. But Jake Bentley, former South Carolina and Utah quarterback, uh, the uh, the quarterback there for South Alabama. They got a potential first-round draft pick at wide receiver. So tough test tonight for Georgia Southern on Thursday night football. Yeah, big challenge, but a big opportunity as well on ESPNU uh, coming up in just a little bit and uh, wishing Coach Whitley and, and company the best. I, I think the key is going to be getting in third and manageable situations, success, positive gains on first and second down because South Alabama leads the nation in third down defense. Teams are converting just 21.2% of third down tries against South Alabama. So if you're in a third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, it's going to be really tough to get drives going against these, this defense especially. So positive gains on first and second down, and uh, you need to be a little more proficient on, on, on pass defense. Georgia Southern really struggling in that regard. And against uh, Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert, I think that's going to be key. So improved play in the secondary, positive gains on first and second down. If you can do that, I think you'll be in a good position to be in this game late. BJ got a chance for Georgia Southern to go out there and make a huge statement. I understand when you're talking about, you know, uh, Bentley and Tober, they're going to be, a, a, you know, a, a tall task for, for a secondary that's very, very banged up for Georgia Southern. But these market correction games, BJ, as you always tell me, with so much hype on one side and, you know, a team that's really trying to figure out who they are on the other side, I still favor them Georgia Southern boys because whenever you count them out, you know, those guys come up with a big-time game and they're going to definitely get tested all night, uh, you know, with, with the way Jake Bentley and uh, Tober has been playing as of late. Again, we'll see what happens if Georgia Southern can continue moving forward. But as you said, they get the off week next week. Georgia with the off week next week. So, uh, again, a chance to kind of play all out and get an extra couple of days here, BJ, to rest up and finish the home stretch, which for Georgia Southern is pretty stout uh, also coming down the stretch. Yeah, you could, of course, use the momentum. But I think it's a chance to make a national statement. You're on ESPNU. You're one of the few football games on TV tonight. Uh, Look, it's a chance to – Further introduce your brand to people, a chance to go out and uh, GATA and, and, and look, play some good football. So a lot of people are going to be watching, not only in the South, but around the country on ESPNU. And it's a big game. You want to win in conference play. Those conference wins are always extra valuable. But coming up in just a little bit, the Eagles over in Mobile uh, taking on South Alabama. Appreciate uh, everyone for joining us here on the show today. Chris Gordy, uh, Locked On SEC Podcast, uh, joined us here on the show. Also, Matthew Lawrence, ESPN Radio Lexington, AM 1392.5, joined us. And Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network. Braves will play at 8 o'clock on Saturday. Just got that word. Game 1 will be at 8 p.m. regardless of the opponent. We'll see you tomorrow, Friday edition of 3 and Out. Picks and more on the way.